give you some context for the scripture today. Uh, this comes from Genesis 12, but you need to know the first 11 chapters of Genesis read like a really well-intended but quickly went off script bad reality TV show. Genesis 1 and 2 gives us two amazing creation stories we can pick from to talk about how God created the world and all was good, everything was rocking, it was perfect. And then human beings started well being human beings. And it all went bad very quickly. In fact, it went so far offline, God decided to do a reboot. So for the several chapters before chapter 12, you hear the story about the great flood. And on this weekend, where our minds and hearts are really with those, no kidding aside, no kidding, for those who are devastated, we get a sense that this is not a child story. This isn't like sweet Bible time, giraffe sticking out of the ark story. This is pretty tragic. It's a serious reboot. And God needs to start all over again, and he does with this guy named Abram. Now, he's going to become Abraham, and that's how we know him. But at the beginning of chapter 12, God reaches out again to a human being named Abram for this. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be be to to God. promises come to us from a long time back, God, and yet you're so faithful to them. You're faithful to us. And as we celebrate our history, 175 years of which we're so proud, but the totality of your creation is but a speck of time. We are humbled and privileged to gather in this moment, to give our lives to you, to celebrate our past, and even more, this present moment. Move in our presence, move in our minds, move in our hearts, move in our relationships, move in this church. So the foundation for what is to come will be built upon solid ground and in your name. We pray this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. So what prayers did you pray this week? Were they thank you prayers? Were they God help me prayers? Were they God forgive me prayers? Keep a bad thing from happening, God please prayers? Were they prayers for God to heal you? For God to heal someone else? Were they prayers for peace or justice or mercy or praying for those who were in harm's way? Were they prayers for wisdom or direction? Or did you get to the end of a day or two or three or the end of this week and as you begin to think about it, realize, you know what, it's not been a lot of praying going on in my life. The prayers we pray and the prayers we do not pray say an awful lot about our life. They tell us a lot about what we believe, where we're living and what we're thinking and what we're feeling. Some weeks we just really focus on one particular issue or person 
and we're just praying our whole prayer being into that person, that situation. Sometimes we're praying for ourselves, and sometimes we're just, well, forgetting. But the prayers that we pray matter. They matter a lot. Now, today is our 175th anniversary of the Methodist movement in Clarkston. But as a historian, I immediately need to give a disclaimer. The fact is there were Methodists in Clarkston as early as 1831. Two pastors came and organized a group of people to meet in classes here in Clarkston and also over on Sashabo. And those small groups met for about 10 years, and Silas Smith came and brought them together, and they got energized around 1840, so much so that it was in 1841 that they dug into the ground, put a foundation, and built up a building. They invested in making sure they were going to have permanency and presence in ministry in Clarkston. So 1841 is the celebration anniversary that we have today when Methodists said, we are going to serve here. It's an exciting time. They built the building. They built the building and didn't have enough money for the windows. For seven years, they worshipped in a building in Michigan with no windows. Sit through one of those sermons, I ask you. And finally, they got windows, and they continued on in ministry. It's an amazing story that we have that is ours. And we give thanks for that ministry. And can you imagine the kinds and numbers of prayers that they offered over these past 175 years? Today, we celebrate that act of commitment and sacrifice that ensured that in this area there would both be a place where the gospel would be proclaimed and the Wesleyan heritage reflected, which simply means this. People who fell in love with Jesus Christ believe they need to fall in love with Jesus Christ as deeply as they could and care about their neighbor and mission with all that they had. Today we give thanks for the prayers that they offered that created the church that we have today. Now I wonder... I. Actually, to be honest with you, I sort of doubt that in 1841 they were thinking specifically about us here. How could they have imagined worship today here in this setting, in this place? This building, of course, didn't even exist. And the idea that we would even have any of the things that we have around us would boggle their imagination. But I am quite convinced that they did think about the future. I'm convinced of that because I know that their clergy leadership, Reverend Davidson and Kansar and finally Silas Smith, would have been thinking about the future because from the very beginning we've always known that God has never called us to simply start ministry for ourselves, but for others and for the generations to come. I know they knew that because they would have had the story of Abram. When God called Abram, there was a shift. Do you feel it in the Scriptures? Earlier in Genesis, it sort of feels like a God and a special group of people kind of relationship. Maybe that's why it went all wrong. But in Genesis 12, God is very clear. Abram, I'm calling you, but I'm not calling you just so that you and I can have this walk. I'm calling you so that from you and from your faithfulness, I can establish a community of faith that will go beyond and throughout all the generations to come. They'll be so vast, and so many of them, you will never be able to count them. And it's all starting with you. What a humbling thought. And what a shocking thought that he would select Abram. Because Abram was by no means 
the best of material to work with. Just keep reading in the rest of chapter 12, 13, 14, and following. You'll discover that Abram, who became Abraham, was an extremely flawed human being. Why would God pick Abram? Well, simply stated and get to the point, because God has always worked with people who were pretty flawed. Amen? Amen. Thanks be to God. Had he picked one of those perfect people, you and I would be so frustrated today. But if God could work through Abram and allow generations to come after him, then imagine what God can do with a collective group that gathers today. He was not selected because he was perfect, but rather because there were moments, at least in his life, he was willing to be open to allowing to God to work through him. And I just wonder, as Abraham thought about those generations to come, if he understood, if he felt the weight of responsibility ever, that what he did mattered not only in his own journey, but would shape those, infect those, his own children, his grandchildren, and those who would come centuries later. Since the time of Abraham, every generation of faith in the Abrahamic tradition has known its responsibility is to live faithfully today and to lay a foundation for faithful living for a future time. As Christians, we know that Jesus Christ came into the world, not simply for those disciples he gathered around them by the Sea of Galilee, but he came for all people. He came for all time. He lived his life as an example of what it meant to be truly God's child living as a human being in the world today for us as much as them. He went to the cross for all of us, not just for a few. And in his final words to us, he made it very clear in case people had lost the impact and understanding. Listen, y'all, I want you to get together, and I want you to build a building, and I want you to hide in it and, and keep yourself away from the rest of the world. No, that's not what he said. He gathered them out in the field and said, hey, y'all, I'm, I'm cutting out of here. Paraphrased version. I want you to cut out of here, too, because I want you to go across the entire known world. I want you to go everywhere you can, to everybody you can, and I want you to be God's people to them. I want you to baptize. I want you to make disciples. I want you to do mission. I want you to share a gospel of grace to everyone and scattered across the world because this faith is not for a few, it's for all and for all generations. We've known that. And that's the faith that we inherit today. It's a faith we celebrate today, and specifically we celebrate it in the 175s that we draw our, our very specific lineage from. And the hallmarks of the 175 years of this ministry in this place can be described, I think, in this way. The faith is discovered in the midst of ordinary people living ordinary lives where God would do every once in a while extraordinary things. In this place, in this community of faith, when the nation was divided and torn apart, so much so they were literally killing each other, this community of faith remained faithful to its calling and its task and did not allow itself to scatter or shatter because of those issues, but remained focused on serving Christ in the here and the now. When the denomination that they were a part of split over issues that would keep the church separate from each other for almost 75 to 80 years, 
They did not allow those divisions to divide their church. They remained faithful to serve Christ as best they could until finally, by grace, the denomination was healed and came back together. Their witness nurtured not only its membership, but intentionally placed itself out there as a part of the broader community. Read the history of our church. Our doors have always been open to every group, every function, anything in the community where they needed to do something, have something, they turned to the Methodist church. They used to graduate the high school class out of the Methodist church. We used to sponsor all the clubs in town, hold the dances, have the bowling leagues, and so many other things you're going to see in a few moments. Because this is our place to do ministry. They gave us not a religion of rigid dogma that said, you better believe this or you're not welcome here, but rather a grace of faith that said, you know, y'all come. We're about Jesus, and we're trying to figure it out, and some of us have been on the walk longer, so we got a little bit figured out, and some of us haven't got a clue what's going on in Jesus. We just know he matters. So let's get together here, and let's talk, and let's discuss, and let's share, and let's witness, and let's grow together as a family of faith around Jesus Christ. They held dinners. Thank God they held dinners of all kinds. They had antique shows and rummage sales and vacation Bible schools and Christmas pageants and church picnics all through the ages, getting people together just because God's people were always intended to be together and not alone. And yes, we went through times of malaise, of ineffectiveness, until eventually God's Spirit stirred again and inspired leaders would come and and rally the troops, and proclaim the word, and the church would respond, or there was need to present itself out the front door so clearly they had to act, and they did. Our history is filled of people who laughed together, who cried together, who fought with each other, who baptized their babies together, who buried their loved ones together, and took bold steps of faith into the future with each other. I knew before I knew anything about Clark School. As I was getting ready to move here, I knew one image, and it stuck in my head. I knew this because I drove around the town, and I saw the old church up on the corner, right? Buffalo and Church Street. I saw it, and I heard the story how in 1960, a congregation that had worshipped there and buried their loved ones and said their marriage vows and did everything sacred they could do together as a people. And they said, we're leaving here. We're going to walk down the hill. And they stood out here in an open field and around us, an imaginary building, and said, this is where we're going to do ministry for the future. They left everything behind to create something new for the generations to come. That's our history. Anybody here take that walk back in the day when they did it? Anybody here on the 1960 when the church moved down that hill? It was interesting. I don't see anybody here today, but boy, at the 9 o'clock service, we had a lot of folks who went walking down that hill. Back here? Who's back here? All right, who's back here? All right, Catherine did the walk. All right. You weren't walking. They were pulling you in a stroller, weren't they? We'll go with that. Okay. The point is, the point is, that's the legacy you know, it's, it's, it's easy, it's, it's quite frankly comfortable to, to do the norm, to do the expected, to not risk, to not stretch, to not imagine something bigger than yourself, but that's not who we are, it's not our history. Thanks be to God, it's not our history. 
Can you imagine the number of prayers that they prayed? All those prayers collectively are the offerings that make us who we are today. You've heard it said that those who do not know their history are condemned to repeat it. I want to add this to it. While that's true, this is also true. Those who do not know their history have no compass to guide them into the future they are called to create. But we're called to create a new future based on the foundation that is ours. What kind of faith will the coming generation need? What kind of faith will we need to give them the specifics? 175 years from now, I don't know. But I do know this. Like those who came before, soon, very, 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 very soon, I assure you, we'll be putting foundations in the ground. Soon there'll be steel sitting out in our parking lot ready to go up on a new building. That's happening very soon because we're investing in new space, not because we think buildings are all that, because what happens in those buildings are sacred to God. We will continue if we do nothing else but to grow deeper in our walk with Jesus Christ. We will circle around Christ. We will talk about Christ. We will share Christ. We will fight with Christ until Christ finally becomes more and more our personal Lord and the Lord of this church. We will continue to expand our witness and commit to transformational mission, and we will have days where we will struggle. Because what we're fighting about and what we're dealing with matters, and we will at times not agree, and that will be good news, because in the disagreements we'll find greater clarity, and we will be finding greater commitment. Do you understand that's what's happening in the life of our church today? Right now, today, we are doing more mission, impacting more lives in Clarkston, in Pontiac, in Flint, than at any other time in our history. There are people today in Clarkston who are eating because there's food on their table from the food pantry you support. There are people in this community who now are having a chance to find new work because you've given an opportunity to be connected. You know how many lives depend upon you today because of the effort you do as a congregation. Do you know that this fall, in our youth ministry, we have over 115 youth involved in our middle school and high school age youth ministry. Did you know that sitting behind you in the balcony today, taking over the balcony, is a portion of our youth ministry who's now worshiping with us in the balcony? Turn around and say hi to them. Say hi, youth. Everyone say hi back there. They're busy because they're now eating pancakes they're making up in the balcony. I, I'm, it's out of control. It's out of control. Thanks be to God. Today I'm asking us to pray. I'm asking us to pray prayers that matter. Because the calling we have matters. What God is asking us to do is not trivial, and it's not just for us, for the generations to come. Over the next three weeks, I'm going to be guiding us in a conversation about the prayers we offer. We're going to talk about those prayers. We're going to discuss what they mean. I'm going to invite you to know how to pray them and think about them in new ways. Because how we pray changes the day we live. And how we pray changes the future they will have. I invite you to pray these prayers with me in the next few weeks. Be here and worship. Worship with us online. Go to the blog. But be a part of this conversation because it really does matter. Today, we are ready to offer Jesus Christ, to commit to Jesus Christ, and to serve Jesus Christ. Today, we look into a future that is uncertain of specifics. But this we do know. It's the future God is moving us to.
and what we do today matters. Jesus will be all that we need for this journey. We know it. It's our history. It's our truth. I'm going to invite you now to turn your attention to the screen, which is appearing behind me. And in a few seconds, you're going to be seeing some images of the history of this ministry. And as you see these images, I want you to think about these people and these times. I want you to imagine what they prayed for. I want, to imagine, I want you to imagine what they struggled to do, what they celebrated, what they took joy in, because their story is our story. What prayers are we going to pray? What ministries are we going to perform? What are we going to offer to God because the next generation and those after them will depend upon it. Thanks be to God for this witness. Thank you.